If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Story time. Christmas of 2007 was an event that has always stood out in my mind. And now, it always will. I was 13 at the time, and that was the first and only year that dad missed Christmas. He worked as a long-haul truck driver, and we were used to him being gone for weeks or even occasional months at a time. He always made it a point to be home for our birthdays and Christmas however, but that year was different. Mom was worried when he said he had one final load to deliver before the holiday season. His plan was to make his delivery and then be home on the 23rd just in time for Christmas, but Mother Nature had other ideas. As fate would have it, his route from our home in Minneapolis to Billings, Montana would take him right into the heart of a looming blizzard along I-94. Snow was falling in bunches at the time, and Dad said he was debating whether or not to pull over for the night in hopes it would clear up. He decided to try and just keep going when the road made the decision for him. He was only about an hour away from Billings when his truck struck an unexpected patch of ice, causing him to lost control and slide off the road into the median. Thankfully he wasn't injured, but his truck was wedged in nearly two feet of packed snow. It was around midnight when this happened. He tried everything he could to get the truck out of the snowdrift, but it was no use. Of course, his phone signal was non-existent as well, so he couldn't even call for assistance. The roads were virtually devoid of other travelers by that point as well. He radioed into a local emergency office, but was told the roads were too hazardous to travel at the moment. In the end, he could do nothing but wait. Meanwhile Christmas came and went for us, and we didn't hear anything from Dad. Mom was a nervous wreck although she tried to hide it, while me and my two sisters were just sad that he wasn't there with us. Thankfully, Dad finally called late on Christmas evening. He apologized profusely for not being with us, and promised he would get home as soon as possible. He did just that two days later, and we were relieved to have him back. He returned with a bundle of late Christmas gifts and all was well once more. Dad was different though, he was quiet and appeared as though his mind was focused elsewhere. I didn't question him on it, but I could tell that something was troubling him. Life went on, and Dad never missed another Christmas after that. He in fact began just taking the entire month of December off to prevent anything like that ever happening again. I didn't know this at the time, but he later told me that he never drove down I-94 again. 
he outright refused deliveries that took him along that stretch, and would take detours that added multiple hours to his trip if it meant avoiding that spot. Us kids are all grown up now, with kids of our own. My son just turned two, and our whole family was once again together over this previous Christmas. We sat around watching his mom and dad lovingly spoiled their grandchildren with goodies. I don't think I've ever seen my dad with such a beaming smile. Later that night when the sugar rush had finally worn off and the kids had gone to bed, dad and I were left alone on the balcony. We sipped some of his whiskey and puffed on cigars as we got to talking. I'll skip over the bulk of what we talked about, because that's not really why I'm here. Eventually, we started talking about his newfound retirement from truck driving, and I asked him a question which I'd never really asked before. You ever experience anything really creepy on the road? Dad was no stranger to talking about his experiences. He had infamous tales of him getting mobbed by crackheads in Atlanta, hitting a cow in Nebraska and the things he saw while driving through Ferguson a few years back during the civil unrest. He was never shy to tell them, but this time, he paused. He swished the whiskey around his glass for a moment, as if silently debating whether he wanted to tell me. I guess I might as well tell you now. He downed the remainder of his drink and clasped his hands in front of him. You remember the year I missed Christmas? By this point, I had almost entirely forgotten about it, but when he said that a torrent of memories came spiraling back. Yeah, mom was pissed. I replied. Dad gave a hearty chuckle at that and nodded. Oh yeah, she never let me forget it. That was that crazy blizzard, right? When your truck got stuck. Dad nodded. Yup, damn near flipped my rig that night. Ironically, that snowdrift probably saved my life just as much as it screwed me over. He then paused and broke eye contact as he contemplated his wording. That wasn't the scary part though. Dad explained that the area he went off the road was essentially a barren wasteland. No cities or gas stations around him, just a winding expanse of road in both directions between dozens of foothills. He again mentioned he had no cell reception, and wasn't sure what to do aside from just wait for someone to pass by. After a few minutes it became apparent that wasn't going to happen. The snow fell in buckets that night, and before long it nearly reached the bottom of his door. Dad's truck at the time was a Cascadia 125, mid-roof sleeper. He had a full sleeping compartment behind the front seat, and provisions to last him a few weeks if necessary. He wasn't too worried about being stranded, at least, not at first. After giving up on getting his phone to work, he crawled into the bunk area of the cab, and popped a DVD in his portable TV. He figured he may be stuck out there for at least the night, so he might as well just relax until help arrived. He made sure to insist that if he wanted to, he could have probably figured out a way to get his truck out if he really tried, but he was exhausted and decided to just get some sleep. He said he drifted off not long after, only to awake sometime later to complete darkness. The temperature had plummeted and he instinctually hugged his arms and felt the goosebumps lining his arms. He'd left his truck idling before he fell asleep, but it wasn't running anymore. Confused, he crawled into the front seat to find the key still in the ignition. He twisted the key and the engine soon rumbled back to life, but something was wrong. 
he said the noise of the engine morphed into a gurgling, clanging mess of metal and fluid that produced a god-awful cacophony. His dashboard lit up like a Christmas tree displaying just about every single warning light the system had. Steam began to pour from the hood vents, and the distinct smell of boiling coolant filled the air. After letting it run maybe 10 seconds, he shut it off in fear of doing permanent damage to it. He knew that something wasn't right with it, and sighed as he contemplated going out into the cold night to see if he could figure out what it was. He bundled himself up tight and popped the hood. He said the night had this almost ethereal silence to it as he stepped out of the cab. His feet crunched in the snow, echoing like crashing thunder when compared to the pervasive silence. He made his way around the front and opened it up, releasing a plume of steam from within. After it dissipated a bit he leaned in and found something which made him quite confused. Oil and coolant was splashed all over the underside of the hood, with many other parts of the engine covered in gunk as well. Dad climbed off the grill and glanced underneath the carriage, and that's when he found something truly odd. The oil pan was shredded on the bottom of the engine. He said it looked as though someone had chopped it with an axe a couple dozen times. The oil had all spilled out into the snow beneath. Clearly that was why the engine had been running so rough, but explaining how it happened was another matter entirely. He checked around the area, and said it seemed like some of the oil was dripped away from the road and towards the trees. He looked closer, and spied what very much seemed like footprints accompanying them. As if the winter night wasn't cold enough, that discovery really tanked his blood temperature. He quickly headed back towards his cab, but as he reached for the handle something stopped him dead in his tracks. Something moved behind the end of his trailer, too quick to make out any physical details. It moved on two legs and was clearly no animal. Dad just froze, his fight-or-flight instinct seeming to stalemate within him. He thought about calling out, but said that didn't seem like a good idea. After a few seconds of silence, he made a mad dash to his cab and locked the doors behind him. After grabbing the pistol from underneath his seat, he hopped into the rear with his heart racing. He positioned himself where he was able to glance out both side mirrors, but saw no sign of whoever was behind the trailer. The radio too was out, and after trying in vain to get it to work he sat back. It didn't make any sense to him, even if the engine wouldn't fire up the battery should have had enough reserve charge to power the radio for a little while. He tried calling on Biss cell phone too, and although managed to get it to ring a few times it would always just cut out. Hours passed and not much of anything happened. He dosed off once or twice, but tried his best to stay awake and wait for the sun to rise. The snow had since stopped but not a single other car had driven by since he had stopped. He figured the pass itself was closed, but hoped someone would have been by. Sometime later he heard a noise emanate from outside. It started as a slight thump, with another soon following, then another and another. The sounds gradually grew louder, and his heart lodged in his throat as it grew nearer. Someone was on his trailer, and he didn't know what to do about it. He clutched his pistol tight, aiming it up towards the roof. Just as he was certain the person was about to reach the roof of the cab, the sound stopped. He waited there, pistol trembling in his grip for them to emerge but they never did. Minutes turned to hours, and he never heard another sound from the roof. 
He said after a while he was no longer even sure whether he had heard anything to begin with. Eventually his guard slipped, and the drowsiness took over. He doesn't know if this next part is related, but he's never had anything happen like it so I figured I'd include it too. He dreamed as he slept there, but it wasn't a normal dream. He said he remembers walking through a dark forest and viewing it all with incredible vivid detail. He was completely lucid, and says to this day almost 30 years later it was the most incredibly realistic dream he's ever had. Even looking back on it he says it felt so real it's hard for him to distinguish it from reality. He seemed genuinely disturbed as he told me about it too. The forest he was walking through had these massive looming trees that seemed hundreds of feet tall. Twisted roots surrounded their bases which sprouted from the ground and twisted all over like the tentacles of the kraken. He had to dip and duck around them as he moved, going further but not knowing why. As he made his way through, he started hearing this noise like the ticking of a clock. It got louder as he moved, then sure enough he found the source. A large grandfather clock ticking away in the middle of the bundle of roots. He stopped and stared at it for a moment as it ticked away. The clock's tone reverberated, but began to slow. In a few moments it had began ticking much slower, and the clock itself began to melt. Suddenly he saw things emerging in the distance from behind the trees, horrible twisted creatures like the spawns of hell. The sounds of cackling and snarling swirled around him, and he began to run. He hurtled and leapt through the roots but didn't make it far. Something struck him hard from behind, knocking him onto his chest. He then awoke with a gasp, panting heavily with a cold sweat permeating his entire body. He scrambled to a seated position while on the brink of panic. His heart was throbbing so fast and hard that it ached. He took a moment to compose himself, and the immense relief that overcame him was one of sheer relief, but it did not last. Something moved at his window, and his eyes shot up. There he saw the face staring back at him. He froze, as stiff as a corpse and cold as a glacier. Time seemed to stand still then, but finally he found the strength to raise his pistol. He fired without really even thinking. A loud bang reverberated in and the muzzle flare momentarily disoriented him. He looked up to see a bullet hole in the window, and no sign of the face. After waiting there a few moments, he ventured to the driver's seat and peered out, but there was nothing there. No sign of that thing ever being there. It didn't make sense to him, as he was certain he saw it. What made even less sense was the fact that his phone read that it was only 12.13 am last he remembered checking his phone at red 12.08 am, and he swears on everything that had to have been at least an hour before he dozed off. By this point in his story, I had to question myself on whether he was pulling my leg. My father is a bit of a prankster for sure, but he's never weaved an elaborate story like this before. He then spent some time glancing around out the windows and ensuring no one else was around. He almost thought he should just leave his truck and start walking back to town, but obviously that was an incredibly dangerous notion that probably would have gotten him killed. He stared at his phone for quite a while, watching the minutes slowly tick onward, too slowly. He swore time wasn't working as normal. Several times he counted aloud to 60 doing his best to approximate a minute, but the minute didn't change accordingly. He eventually just kept counting upwards, 
finding the minute finally changed when he reached 386. You'd think that after all these worrying discoveries that sleep would have been the last thing he wanted, but it wasn't enough to prevent. He said he tried adamantly to resist the urge, but the drowsiness that overtook him was impossible to fight. He found himself walking in the snow, listening as it crunched beneath his feet. A dark and silent forest surrounded him in all directions. It was robotic, as if his body acted of its own accord while his mind drifted in the doldrums. He could barely see where he was going, but it didn't seem to matter. Suddenly he stopped, and seemed to spring back to reality. He glanced around side to side, a sudden terror gripping him. Where was he? Why was he outside of his truck? He wondered. He spun back, but couldn't even see the road behind him. The cold sunk into him, and then he saw it. From further in the woods, a familiar face stared back, pale, gaunt and inhuman. It crawled on all fours, shimmering and shifting side to side. My father turned the complete other way and ran like hell. Tree branches raked against him as he fled half blind away from the thing in the woods. Nothing looked familiar, and he just continued running aimlessly through the woods, checking behind him periodically to see if the thing was following him. He never saw it or heard it, but he knew it was there. Eventually he smelled the faint scent of smoke lingering in the air. He followed it, hearing a commotion behind him and soon came across a small clearing. In the center of it was a log cabin with smoke trickling from the chimney. Seeing no other option he dashed towards it and knocked on the door. Behind him he could hear odd sounds coming from the woods, and thankfully the door opened a few seconds later. Who are you? What do you want? The voice of elderly man called from within. Dad turned, and saw the barrel of a shotgun aimed at his chest. He slowly raised his hands to convey he meant no threat. Please sir. There's, he said he paused as he thought that certainly this man was going to think he was some lunatic, but he said it anyways. There's something out there. The man's furious glance reverted to one of intrigue. He then looked past my dad and out into the forest, his eyes suddenly growing wide. Suddenly he backed up, still aiming the shotgun on my dad while waving him inside. He pointed him over to a chair in the corner. Dad complied and sat as the man locked up behind him. He waited there a couple seconds there, but apparently heard nothing of concern. What are you doing out here? My dad then told him what had happened with his truck and the blizzard. He then told him about the odd occurrences that had happened later on which culminated in him suddenly sleepwalking through the woods. The man sighed, and finally lowered his shotgun. He got my dad some water and took a seat across from him. Load of weird things in these woods. Dad paused as he waited for the man to continue. The man formally introduced himself as Duncan, and said his family had owned the plot of land for nearly 100 years. He said he lost count of how many search parties had come through over the years, as well as thrill-seekers, ghost hunters and generally odd people. I saw a face. Dad finally confessed to him. Duncan eyed him curiously. What kind of face? Dad described it much as he had before, and Duncan just shook his head. Well, that's a new one. He let out a sarcastic chuckle then. You hear all kinds of stories. UFOs, Bigfoot, cults. But none of them can ever provide proof. So you don't believe in any of it? 
My dad asked, only to be countered by Duncan. Of course I do, I've lived out here long enough to know that we humans do not dictate these woods. There are things that lurk in shadows all over the globe, and we may never understand them. But as for what you saw, he paused for a moment, seeming to contemplate as he folded his hands on his lap. There's a group of Native Americans that are rumored to have once lived here. The Apulcari. Ever hear of them? Dad shook his head. Neither had I but a friend of mine who has since passed told me about him. He was an Arapaho man himself, and said that for generations his people had told tales of these. Apulcari. Most other groups feared M, said the things they did were evil, more so than the standard tribal warfare one would expect. People say they held these rituals and experiments, and were rumored that their cruelty was matched only by their intellects. Some people say they weren't even human. But that's neither here nor there. Duncan trailed off once more, taking a sip of tea from his side table. One of the rumors that many people attribute to the Apulcari is that of the wrong ones. A lot of names for M really, not rights, liars and uncannies. Things that look human but ain't, and some look less human than others. Long faces, wide mouths, huge eyes. A lot of variations. Some say they can affect time and space itself, and others blame them for a lot of weird disappearances. He paused and took another sip, then chuckled. I can't speak to the validity of all that firsthand, but things for certain. There are a lot of weird disappearances, and no one seems to have an answer for them. The air from the room seemed to deflate from his torso, and Dad had the curious man. He'd clearly seen a lot over his time, but Dad didn't know how much of his tales to believe. He still doesn't. If all these things are happening, then why do you live out here? Dad finally asked. Duncan reclined in the seat and thought. Dad expected an answer related to his inherited property, but the reality was a bit different. He did in fact mention his ancestral home being part of it, but had more to say. If I was 20 years younger, maybe I would leave, but I don't think it'd matter. There ain't a place on earth you could run to if they wanted to get you, Dad said a shiver descended his spine then, and Duncan didn't seem boastful or wild as he spoke, but more as though his realization was just a foregone conclusion. Thankfully, Duncan allowed my dad to stay the night, and in the morning the two of them made their way back to the road. Luckily Duncan had a big Dodge Diesel that was able to plow through the snow with relative ease. They soon reached my dad's abandoned rig, finding it in even worse state than he'd last seen it the previous night. Multiple tires were slashed, windows were broken and the engine was absolutely shredded from the bottom. After looking around though he found nothing had actually been stolen. Duncan gave him a ride into town to get his truck towed, and a week or so later he was finally headed home. So, do you believe in that kind of stuff? I finally asked him after he seemed to be done retelling his story. Well, I'd be kinda stupid not to now. He and I both laughed at that. But clearly, he had more he wanted to say. It was a really weird experience for sure, but I've always thought that maybe I misremembered it or subconsciously exaggerated it in my mind. Something about it though is just so haunting. Like I saw something that night that I really wasn't supposed to see, and never want to see again. He just sat there for a moment in silence, 
and I figured it best not to ask him any more questions. He eventually told me that between the time of him crashing his truck to when he finally made it into town with Duncan that three entire days had passed. He still doesn't know how to account for that, and apparently Duncan didn't either. There's a lot of unanswered questions to this that he may never get the answer to now. He kept in touch with Duncan over the years, but unfortunately he passed away back in 2019. I love my dad, and it's disconcerting seeing him that way, confused and terrified. I cannot completely attest to the validity of his story, but I believe him. For many who read this I'm sure it will just amount to words on a paper, or maybe a fictitious story that entertained you for a few minutes, but to me it's a horrific possibility at the very least. If anyone has any experiences like this or theories then feel free to share them. Whatever the case, you won't catch me anywhere near I-94 in Billings anytime soon. Anyway, this story I'm going to tell you now comes from one summer when I was working with the National Park Service out in Yellowstone. I was lucky enough to spend five years working for the park, and to this day it is still one of my favorite locations. Now, for those of you who have not been to Yellowstone before, let me just tell you that this park is big. So big, in fact, that many park rangers believe that there are hermits who live off the grid in the park year-round in some of the remote places that don't see tourists and visitors, and are able to go more or less undetected because there are so many places you could hide. Over the years there, I encountered some really weird stuff in the Yellowstone wilderness that would suggest that this is either true, or that there is some strange dark energy at play out there. But the dark energy doesn't confine itself to the park boundaries, as I found out one year. Midsummer when I was 27, two of my co-workers, who I'll call Nick and Monica instead of using their real names, and I had the same day off and decided to go out to a nearby lake in southern Montana, right outside the northwest corner of the park. Nick used to be a scuba diving instructor, and had a ton of gear along with a few wetsuits, so we decided to scuba dive and explore around the submerged ruins in Quake Lake. For those of you who don't know the story of how Quake Lake was formed, here's a quick history. In August 1959, a magnitude 7.3 earthquake struck the area in the middle of the night, causing a large chunk of one of the mountains to fall in a landslide that buried 19 people alive in their sleep and created a dam in the Madison River. This dam resulted in the creation of Quake Lake, as it later was named. Overall, the area affected by the earthquake had a total of 28 fatalities, and damage was reported in a huge radius around the area. The part of all this that the public doesn't know about, however, is the disappearances that started happening after the formation of Quake Lake that had nothing to do with the earthquake and subsequent damage. The government did a very thorough job covering all of it up as to not alarm the public, and most NPS employees don't even know about it unless they are working directly in the area. As a five-year veteran working at Yellowstone, I knew about the strange disappearances and unsolved cases, but I was told under strict order not to tell anyone about them. Basically, once Quake Lake was deemed stable enough for recreational activity, people started going out there to swim, fish, go boating, and do all the other normal things that people do on a lake. However, 
Soon after the lake started getting visitors, people started mysteriously disappearing, all from the same area of the lake. Sometimes they would turn up all the way across the lake, drowned. Sometimes they would never turn up at all. But the thing that made the government cover this all up, was that with each body they actually found, the person died with a look of absolute terror on their face, and bruises around their legs and ankles that looked like the shape of human hands. The government did countless tests and surveys of the lake to try to determine what this could be from, but they never found anything. So, they covered it all up and placed restrictions on areas that could be accessed by the general public. Despite knowledge of the disappearances, Nick, Monica and I weren't worried about it. Nick assured us that all his diving gear was in top shape, and since Monica and I were both strong swimmers, we didn't give it a second thought. The area that we were going to dive at is called the underwater forest. It was given that name because of all the trees you can still see sticking out of the water from when the lake originally formed. We knew there were some underwater ruins close by as well from a cabin that got submerged in the flooding, so we figured that would be a really cool place to dive and explore. So, we packed up all of the diving gear and are into Nick's car, hooked his boat up to the trailer hitch, and set out for the lake. It was just about midday when we got there. We had a quick picnic lunch, then started to put our gear on while we digested. Nick gave both Monica and I a quick tutorial on how to use all of the gear, and we did a few test dives next to the boat dock to make sure we were ready. Once we felt good to go, we took off for the side of the lake we were going to explore. As soon as we arrived, we anchored our boat, and got ready to jump in. Immediately I got a bad feeling, like we shouldn't be there, but I brushed it off as nervousness and excitement. I touched the water next to the boat, and it sent chills up my spine. The water in the lake was cold, but this felt really really cold. I shuddered, then Nick noticed and started making fun of me, so I rolled my eyes and put on my mask. We jumped in the water, and started exploring. As soon as I got in the water, all my fears went away. This place was so cool. It was like a whole forest frozen in time, dead, underwater. We had all agreed ahead of time to try to stay near each other, but just in case, Nick had given us all waterproof diving watches so we could keep track of time. We agreed that we would surface every 20 minutes just to check in with each other if we got separated. Naturally, within about 5 minutes, we were all off on our own, but we all surfaced on time for the first two check-ins. However, on the third check-in, Monica didn't surface on time. Nick and I waited a couple minutes, thinking that maybe she just didn't look at her watch. After about 10 minutes, we started to panic. We made a plan to stick together to look for her, and immediately doved back down into the water. We searched for about 20 minutes and there was no sign of her. We decided to return to the boat and radio into the marina to get help, and within a matter of minutes they had sent a search and rescue team out to help find her. Every single minute waiting felt like an eternity. Then, suddenly, one of the search and rescue divers surfaced, with Monica's unconscious body. All of her diving gear had been torn to shreds and was just barely hanging on to her. The search and rescue boat sped off back to the marina so Monica could be airlifted to the nearest hospital. Nick and I closely followed behind in his boat. Once we got back to the marina, we were questioned by the cops, 
and then released. They told us where they were taking Monica, and Nick and I made plans to go visit her the next morning. Neither Nick nor I was able to sleep that night. We sat on the couch together at his apartment watching movies until the sun came up, and then we got in his car and headed for the hospital where Monica was. She was asleep when we got there, so we decided wait until she woke up. We asked one of the nurses if she had said what happened, and the nurse said she hadn't spoken a single word to anyone since she arrived. She also said that Monica would start to freak out if anyone tried to touch her ankles. Hearing this made the blood drain from my face. Once the nurse left the room, I slowly and gently lifted up the blanket by Monica's feet, and looked. There were deep dark red and purple bruises all over her calves and ankles in the shape of human hands, as if people had been grabbing at her and dragging her by the bottoms of her legs. The feeling of the blanket moving immediately woke Monica up, and she jolted up in a panic with the widest eyes I have ever seen. As soon as she realized it was just Nick and I, she started crying. I sat down next to her on the bed and just held her. I asked her if she wanted to talk about what happened, and once she calmed down, what she said I will never forget, I saw a little girl, she was standing upright on the lake floor as if she was outside on dry land. She motioned to me to follow her, so I did. She was running through the trees, and once we got to the edge of the underwater forest, there was a cabin, with a light on inside. She pointed at the door and then ran inside. I was terrified, but curious so I followed her in. As soon as I opened the door and entered the cabin, the little girl turned to me, smiled, and turned out the light. The cabin door swung shut and locked. I couldn't open it back up as hard as I tried. I swam to one of the windows, and starting hitting it until the glass cracked. I tried to squeeze through the window, but the oxygen tank was too big to fit. I felt something grab at my ankle, and I turned around and there was the little girl, although she now was floating in the water and she looked like a corpse. Her skin was grey and falling off her bones and her eyes were solid white. Out of nowhere, two more of these people appeared, they looked like her parents perhaps. They started grabbing at me and pulling me back into the cabin, tearing at my wetsuit with their nails and teeth. I fought as hard as I could, and tore off my oxygen tank and started fighting them off with it. I managed to kick them off of me just as I was able to squeeze through the broken window, and I swam as fast as I could away from the cabin without turning back. Within a matter of seconds, I was so out of breath that I passed out, and the next thing I knew I was in the hospital. Monica said that she told the search and rescue officers everything she told us. We were told that they did a thorough search operation for the cabin Monica said she saw, but they claimed that they found nothing. I'm not sure what exactly happened that day in the lake, but I do know that what I saw on Monica's legs, plus the fear in her eyes when she told Nick and I her story, I believe her. I have never gone back to that lake, but I did hear from a co-worker that they now have that area strictly closed off. Maybe they did find something after all. While I was on duty a few years back, we had to respond to a call about hikers that were late. It was pretty routine, just two young kids who had gotten lost where they were going. They were actually from out of state, so they weren't used to this terrain. We found them again before nightfall, they were pretty freaked out. 
They said they'd been hearing this weird noise coming out of the woods around them. They'd been scared into this spot, actually. They said the noise had gotten closer and closer and was with them for most of the day. They didn't know what it was, but they were pretty determined to get out of there. We escorted them back to base, but I knew we were being followed the whole time. Something in the woods behind us was chasing them. It was staying just out of the light. I had my rifle on it the whole time, but I never saw anything out there. I know I heard something though, it was breathing hard and making these strange noises. I kept looking behind me, but all I could see were silhouettes of trees in the sky. I didn't see what was making the noise until we were almost at the ops when I found it. It was big and built low to the ground. Then it got down and began running on all fours. It had a very featureless face, unlike anything I'd seen before. I don't know what it was, but I'm not sure I want to know. Another night, I was working the graveyard shift alone. We got a call over the radio that somebody had seen something large and unknown. And we were all pretty tired this night, most of us had been on duty for 20 hours already. The area this thing went into was a mix of densely forested and open fields. The guy who saw the thing said it kind of looked like a large black blur moving through a field at an incredible speed. So my partner and I were looking down at the edge of the wood line, and we heard something come out near us. It sounded big, whatever it was, very big. We switched with another team after about an hour, they had to go deeper. We took up on their first post, but my partner told me to go over a small hill, giving us a better vantage point on the forested area beyond it. As I'm walking toward where she told me to go, she gets on the radio and starts screaming at everyone to get out. She's yelling about how this big black thing is coming right at us, but I don't hear it. I finally see her come over the hill towards me, and she tells me this thing was chasing after us. She said it looked like a hairy large dog with large yellow eyes, but that it had legs just like a man, not hawks like a dog. It had caught up with her before she could get down the other side of the road, so she came back up here to avoid it. The rest of my team who had seen it were all white as sheets, especially my partner who looked warmed over. None of them could really tell us what we saw, and we never really did find out at least not from them. It was a heck of a night. The road stretched out ahead of me, a never-ending ribbon of asphalt disappearing into the horizon. My hands firmly gripped the steering wheel of my truck, the hum of the engine and the passing scenery my constant companions. It was just another night on the road, transporting Amazon products through the heart of Ohio. The radio played softly in the background, keeping me company on those long stretches of solitude. As the night grew darker, my headlights cut through the inky blackness, illuminating the highway ahead. I was lost in thought, my mind wandering as the miles ticked away. And then, something caught my eye, a strange anomaly on the road ahead. It was far off in the distance, and at first, I thought it might be a trick of the light. But as I continued driving, curiosity got the better of me, and I found myself squinting to make out the shape. The figure came into focus, and a shiver ran down my spine. I saw a large dark silhouette, walking upright. My heart raced as I instinctively slowed the truck down. What in the world could that be? 
My gaze remained fixed on the creature as I approached cautiously, my foot easing off the gas pedal. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen before, a creature that seemed both out of place and out of time. As I got closer, my fear intensified, and my instincts took over. I glanced around, searching for a place to hide. My eyes settled on a sturdy tree on the side of the road. With a rush of adrenaline, I pulled the truck over and scrambled out, my heart pounding in my chest. I positioned myself behind the tree, heart pounding, my breath held in anticipation. Turning my head slightly, I peered around the tree to catch another glimpse of the creature. It was closer now, perhaps only about 10 feet away. Its size and shape were daunting, and its appearance was unnerving. The creature was completely black, a stark contrast against the moonlit night. It stood a bit shorter than me, with a hunched posture that seemed almost human. What struck me the most was the absence of a visible neck, its head emerged directly from its broad shoulders. My eyes widened as I watched in horror as the creature reached the tree I was hiding behind. It lifted its head, its nostrils flaring as it sniffed the air, the nose pointing upward. I couldn't see any eyes, just an unsettling void where they should be. Time seemed to stand still, and I was frozen in place, my body refusing to obey my desperate commands to move. Then, just as suddenly as it had appeared, the creature turned around. It moved with an eerie grace, almost casual in its departure. My breath hitched as I watched it retreat, disappearing into the darkness. I remained hidden behind the tree, my mind reeling from what I had witnessed. A sound shattered the stillness, tearing me from my thoughts. It was a guttural, unsettling noise that echoed through the night. My heart raced as I realized the creature had noticed me. The noise grew louder, a chilling shriek that seemed to cut through the very air itself. In an instant, the creature was no longer walking away, it was running towards the nearby woods, moving with an unsettling, human-like gait. I stepped out from behind the tree, my heart still pounding, my mind trying to process the events that had just transpired. And then, I saw it, a grisly scene that further twisted my stomach into knots. The creature had left behind a gruesome tableau. A coyote lay on the road, its body torn open and partially devoured. The realization hit me like a punch to the gut, this creature was a predator, a merciless hunter. My stomach churned, and a wave of nausea washed over me. I stumbled back, unable to tear my gaze away from the grisly sight. It was then that I made a silent promise to myself, I would never forget this night, and I would never drink alcohol again. The adrenaline-fueled fear had etched this experience into my memory, a vivid reminder of the strange and terrifying encounter on that desolate Ohio highway. I retreated to my truck, my hands trembling as I fumbled with the keys. The safety of the cab provided a small measure of comfort, but my mind was still racing, trying to come to terms with what I had seen. The road ahead stretched out, and I pressed my foot on the gas pedal, eager to put distance between myself and that haunting scene. As the miles rolled on, I couldn't shake the feeling that I had glimpsed something otherworldly that night. A creature that defied explanation, a living nightmare that had sent shivers down my spine. And though I was now on the move again, the memory of that creature and its chilling shriek would forever be imprinted on my mind, 
a reminder of the unknown dangers that could lurk in the shadows of the open road. I know this sounds weird, but about a week or so ago before this happened, I had a good buddy of mine who was also a motorcyclist who reported seeing strange things throughout this long stretch of road. He would often drive this area in the evening time and report feelings of being watched. I gave him a pretty hard time about it, thinking he was just being crazy, until I had my very own experience. When one evening after midnight I was running through here by myself, this has happened to me twice now. I'm not sure if this is the same being, but there are some details that seem to be similar enough for me to conclude that these are related encounters. It was Thursday evening in June of 1994. I was already a veteran here, having served in Desert Storm from 91 to 92. I was riding my motorcycle home from work around midnight that night. It was about a mile or so approximately right outside of Appomattox, Virginia, and I noticed something strange. I often came home late enough where it was dark and encountered headlights on the road coming towards me. But tonight, it seemed like there were none. Since this road is very heavily traveled, there are no crossroads, there should have been no cars out here at this time. As I pulled up to the crest of a hill and started to descend, approximately 300 to 400 feet from the crest, I saw something that nearly made me soil myself. I don't know how to describe what I was seeing except that it looked like a giant upright walking ape, covered in hair, running along the road with its arms pumping furiously as it raced after my motorcycle. It kinda reminded me of a gorilla running on all fours but also standing upright every now and then to try and gain full speed. The most frightful thing about it were its eyes. They were glowing this white yellow, and they almost seemed to glow in the dark the same way headlights illuminated a deer's eyes. It's as if they possessed their own light source. Now, this thing ran after me for about a good 300 feet until I crested another hill, but when I looked back, it had vanished. It was almost as if the thing had just disappeared into thin air. In all honesty, it scared the crap out of me. And after thinking about it for a while now, I think this thing must have been traveling so fast it was chasing after the light from my motorcycle. That is what probably caught its attention in the first place. But the strange part about it all is that not once did I hear any noise coming from whatever this thing was. Even though it looked like a large gorilla running on two legs, it never really made a sound from what I saw from it. It was real ugly looking, like it was deformed or something and even had horns and pulled back like a ram's horns are. It also had this nasty smell, like a skunk. Believe me or not, this is one story that won't leave me alone until I get it off my chest. It sounds pretty stupid to some people when you try to explain what happened. But if anybody has heard of similar encounters along these lines, please let me know. I do not know what this being is, where it came from. If anybody has any insight into what this thing was, let me know in the comments below. I am also aware there have been reports of strange creatures in this area, including Bigfoot sightings and strange otherworldly type encounters with UFOs and even other bizarre paranormal phenomena. But what in the world is going on around here? This stuff is scaring people, including me. I'm 53 years old and an avid hunter, trapper, 
and fishermen. When I was 12 we had a family visit to Muir Woods National Monument in California. I was obsessed with steelhead. There was a stream full of them right next to the walking path. I left my family to get closer to the fish. I guess I was about 100 yards from my family when I rounded a bend in the stream. I climbed over a rock and at about 30 yards a guy, Sasquatch, was squatted on the edge of the river. We locked eyes and it seemed like he was trying to kill me with a stare. As he stood up I could not believe how fast he moved. His hair was dark brown and his face only had hair around the edges. He kept his eyes on me as he literally stepped across the creek. I saw grayish hair on his back and muscles like a bodybuilder. The creek was like 20 feet across and he cleared it one hop. I could not get out of there fast enough. No one believed my story, not my parents, my brother, or anyone for that matter. Jump forward to the year 2000. I was married and living in northern New Jersey. I shot a huge buck one morning early and the arrow seemed a bit far back. I decided to give him some time. This was November and I was coaching football at the high school nearby. I went to the game with the intention of tracking the deer after the game. We followed the blood trail about 150 yards to where the deer died. You know what the ground looks like when a full kill deer expires. There was a 10-foot circle covered with blood and hair. The blood was like someone spilled a 5-gallon pail, but no deer. The bears are huge here, but a bear would have chowed on that deer first then dragged it a distance and either hit it or left to come back. There were no drag marks, no blood trail, nothing. But my carbon arrow was broken into little 4 or 5-inch pieces. During turkey season the following year, I was hunting behind my house every morning. There's about a square mile of private land. I kept jumping what I thought was a bear on the edge of a swamp at the base of a steep bridge. It happened several times in the dark. The bear would move up about 50 yards. It was always at first light and I was hoping to hear the turkeys gobble on the roost. One morning I was late getting out. So I was creeping slower than usual. An owl was hooting as I walked. When I got near the area where I was jumping the bear I steeped in owl feces. As I did I heard someone running toward the ridge. It was the thump, thump of a two-legged being. Their feet hit the ground, not the leaf shuffling a bear makes on the run. Then I saw it. It neared the top of the ridge taking huge strides. As it topped the ridge all I could see was the same face staring at me from when I was 12. I knew what it was. I haven't slept right since. At our camp, about 20 miles from my home, we had a deer taken from inside of a pickup truck with a cap on it. The T-handles of the cap were closed but not locked. Whatever took the deer put its hands on the top of the cap and left marks. Where the hair on its arms had disturbed the dust and the dirt. The guys I was hunting said a bear took it. How many bears can open the cap, walk away with the 100-pound doe? and leave no drag marks or evidence. One Saturday after deer season ended I was driving at night at about 10 p.m. I came across a 6-inch tree across the road that was just wide enough for one truck. I had just been there a few hours before in the daylight. I got out to move but the tree had been twisted around 5 feet off the ground and bent over the road. As I looked at it I felt like I was being watched. I had that feeling of impending doom swept over me. They did not want me there. 
So I jumped in my truck and got the hell out of there. I'm never going to stop what I love to do most, which is hunting and fishing. But it's not the same as it once was. You know you're not alone out there there. There's something about knowing that you're not the top dog in the woods. They walk around my house at night in the summer. When I'm out hunting they're here and no one wants to admit it. The BFRO idiots were more concerned with having me pay $400 to get in on their freaking expedition than coming up to see the area where I live. As soon as I said they were human-like and not ape they dismissed me like I never existed. I was chased by an unknown hairy bipedal creature outside my childhood home. This was rural northern Wisconsin and I was 16. Up until that day I had zero fear of the woods. I spent most of my time out there exploring and feared nothing. My parents had a lousy marriage and fought a lot and I felt more at home outside than in the house. On hot nights, I'd take a sleeping bag and sleep on the roof of an old shack on our property. I saw bears, I saw wolves. They were always more afraid of me than me. I didn't believe in ghosts, Bigfoot, demons, or even God. I only got lost out there once when dark fell sooner than I expected. I stayed calm, found the North Star, and knew that if I continued south I'd eventually come across the old railroad tracks near my house. Even the thought of spending the night out there didn't bother me, the thought of my mom's rage when I didn't come home did. So it was summer, and I had just turned 16. My mom had left my father, father worked all the time, sister was living on her own. Once school was out it was me and my cat and this is before the internet or smartphones. We lived on a dead-end dirt road and around noon I took my usual stroll down the long driveway to check the mail. My cat followed me everywhere and I actually kind of relied on him to give me a heads up if there was a bear or something close by. A bit of movement behind me as I stood at the mailbox made me aware there was something across the road in the trees but there were pesky deer everywhere. I heard a loud crash like something very loudly making its way through the brush. It's like every classic horror story. My brain had no capability for the thought of anything paranormal or spooky. I simply tucked the mail under my arm and headed into the woods to investigate. My cat followed close behind. I got about 10 yards in when I noticed what I hadn't noticed before. There was no noise. Nothing. It was a beautiful June day and there wasn't a single bird singing, no insects, no leaves rustling. It was absolutely silent. At the same time, I registered the silence, I got that eerie feeling that something was watching me. I stopped immediately and started scanning the woods for deer. Hunters know what I'm talking about when I say you look for the shape of a deer instead of trying to pinpoint them by color. That's when I spotted it. Two brown furry legs, the top of it concealed by tree branches. My cat hissed. I looked down and he was completely puffed out with his back arched. Looking at the same thing I was. I looked back up and the legs moved. Not like a deer. Like a human. Everything happened at once after that. I dropped the mail, picked up my cat by the scruff, and ran for it. Whatever was out there with me was running after me. I have never run so fast in my life. I tore up the driveway, into the house, locked the door, and grabbed the phone. 
I called my next door neighbor who was the ex-chief of police and he came over immediately with his pistol. He checked out the spot I was in and found nothing. I was so hysterical I was in tears. He stayed with me until I was able to reach my mom and have her come get me. Of course, they thought I was completely high or delusional. I know exactly what I saw and felt. It was broad daylight. I never felt safe in those woods again and stopped sleeping outside. Here's a bit of the backstory. From late 2003 to the summer of 2005, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, and I lived in a haunted apartment in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, by the corner of Melrose and Broadway. When we first moved to this apartment, I often felt like I was being watched and sometimes had a sense of unease. But I was young, 23 when we first moved in, and a senior in college so I blamed the feelings on stress and the layout of the apartment, which was a typical Chicago 4 plus 1. We were on the second floor right over the garage and our living room window faced the living room window of another apartment. That apartment and mine almost always kept the blinds shut. At the time I did not believe in the paranormal. I'm the sort that has to see something myself before I believe it, and once I do see it, I analyze it endlessly. I went to bed one night, but as usual, could not fall asleep quickly. Our two cats normally went to bed with me but they didn't on this night. After a while, I sat up in bed and looked out the bedroom doorway. I can see the dining room area from the bed, and if the cats were playing they would inevitably end up in that area. Our apartment was very small, maybe 700 square feet if that, and the dining area was kind of central to the apartment layout. I hoped I would see them so I could call them to me. It was dark but not pitch dark because the apartment's windows let in the dim light from our neighbors across the way as well as typical large city light pollution. So, thanks to this light, my eyes quickly adjusted to the gloom. That's when I realized there was a very dark black, the blackest black you can think of, blacker than black, even, like velveteen tar, mass just passed where the apartment's very brief hallway ended and the dining area started. It was around 7 feet high and had a rough head and shoulder, torso shape but the rest of it kind of faded off. I wasn't alarmed at first, if anything I leaned forward to try to get a better look, because I absolutely couldn't believe my eyes. I was baffled. But when I leaned forward and gawked at this thing, it seemed to turn and look at me, and when it did, I saw two red eyes in the head. I did not see any other features and I don't remember if the eyes were glowing or just plain red but they were indeed red. When the thing looked at me, my amazement was quickly replaced by a deep, primal fear. And then it swooped through the bedroom doorway and towards me. I did the only thing I could think of, and that was duck under the covers like a kid hiding from the boogeyman. I have been in some scary situations in my life but that particular fear was almost unearthly. The feeling reminded me of the intense terror you feel when you realize the monster in your nightmare has spotted you. After several moments I began to run out of air beneath the covers so I decided to elbow my sleeping husband in the ribs hard enough to irritate him and make him wake up, sit up, roll over, do something. It worked and when he didn't react strangely I figured the thing was gone. And it was. I, and later my husband, saw the shadow again but it never appeared remotely as threatening. 
Altogether I saw the spirit there three times. It took me years to come to terms with this experience. The closest explanation I could come to was sleep paralysis but other than the apparition looking similar to some of the hallucinations reported during sleep paralysis, there were no similarities to sleep paralysis. I had yet to fall asleep at that point and was able to move freely. The fact my husband later saw a black mass during waking hours, and I saw something else when I was awake, also helped me come to the conclusion that what I experienced wasn't due to sleep paralysis. With the assistance of the Chicago History Museum Research Center, I did research on the property and building. The apartment building was built in the early 1970s. Before that, a Jewish academy was on that site. Sometime before that, in 1940, a house that was on site burned down, with no injuries or deaths. That house was once inhabited by a large family, one of their sons was a marine that died of disease while deployed overseas during World War I. There's no record of the exact address prior to that. I also sent a message to the property management company asking if anyone has ever reported anything related to a haunting or the paranormal. I had a hunch that the spirit moved throughout the whole building versus staying in my apartment, and I fully expected either a no or no response from them. But to my surprise, the guy responding said he would check with people in the office and get back to me. A couple days later he said, actually, I've been told that they were aware of the situation, but haven't had any reports of strange activity in a few years. Hope this helps. Fairly short story and if anyone has any input on this I'd love to hear it. For context, I live in a relatively safe area, but still on the cusp of a much less safe area. Anyways, I'd been out on a walk for a good couple hours and was walking along the sidewalk of a road at around 9.30 and completely dark out. Cars on this road are traveling about 40 miles an hour, sometimes a little more, and don't stop for a while until there's an intersection way back other than that there is nowhere to turn or safely stop. I was walking on this path, passing occasional cars. I was not taking a route I'm very familiar with back home, so I looked at my phone for any upcoming paths I could take that would allow me to get home faster, without having to follow the road much further and ultimately have to walk longer. I saw a trail off the sidewalk that, and at the time of noticing it was coming up I was a few hundred feet from it. I slowed to get to it and then walked a few yards onto the path. Given how dark it was, I was trying to take it on slowly but still at a walking pace. For a little bit I hadn't seen a car until then. I had heard it driving up on the right side, side I was walking on, with the bike lane and an elevated sidewalk separating the driving lane. The car slowed slightly but then came to a very abrupt stop a few yards ahead of where I had gotten off the sidewalk. Having heard the brakes and the sound of the car I turned to look, and saw the car stopped completely with the engine still running. The driver's door opened, which I could barely see because the passenger side was facing my direction. I didn't see anyone come out though. Upon seeing and hearing this I immediately turned and sprinted into the dark. I ran on that path and it's a miracle I didn't trip and bite the dust. When I got out of the path I ended up in a parking lot that led into a street, and from there I eventually figured out how to get back home by foot. I didn't see the car or anyone following me after that. 
So this is hardly an encounter, it was brief and I'm not too sure what it was. My gut instinct was to just bolt and keep running until I felt safe enough to slow down. Anyways, if anyone has any thoughts on what this might have been please don't shy from telling me your input and, or if it's worth reporting. Benefit of the doubt I'm saying maybe they thought I was lost or it wasn't safe for me to be walking alone at night, but my gut was telling me danger. For details about the car if it's important, I'm not sure what model it was but it was a boxy SUV and sort of looked like a copperish brown color. Maybe a Honda Pilot but I only saw it for a couple seconds, so I can't be sure. 